Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 5 of Revelation chapter 18. And we're continuing to look at verse 2. Revelation 18 verse 2 says, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And I'll stop reading there. Now we were discussing last time that Babylon's fall identifies with the end of the Great Tribulation period. Historically, it came at the end of the 70-year time in which God uh, gave a historical type and figure of the Great Tribulation from 609 to 539 B.C. And the actual Great Tribulation of 23 years concluded on May 21, 2011, and it was then that God began the judgment of the kingdom of Satan and Babylon spiritually fell. It, it's at that point in time. And we need to keep going over this because um, there, for some time we had thought Babylon's fall meant the fall of the church. But there are too many verses that will not allow for that conclusion. And it must be No, it's the end of the Great Tribulation. Once the judgment on the church was completed, then the kingdom of Satan fell. Well, it goes on to say here, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And we saw how that phrase and the doubling of it, God has tied in with language of harvest. And it so happens in Revelation 14, where this same statement is made in verse 8, Babylon is fallen, is fallen and then leads into discussion of the final judgment of mankind and um, uh, in-depth illustration of harvest, which is the end of the world. And then God gave us that number 1600 uh, concerning the blood that came out of the winepress of the wrath of God and flowed forth for space of 1600 furlongs. And when we go from the fall of Babylon spiritually, which occurred on May 21, 2011, 1,600 days, which which is the harvest, the end of the world, we come to October 7th, 2015, the last day of harvest, which would be the last day, very likely, of the period of Babylon's fall, the last day of Judgment Day. And that's just amazing how God relates Babylon's fall to the end of the Great Tribulation. And and again, the Great Tribulation was an exact 23 years, May 21, 1988, May 21, 2011. So that gives us the date of May 21, 2011, and then gives us a number, 1600, that takes us four years... Four months and 16 days, which is four times four, 
four pointing to the furthest extent, into the future of the duration of Judgment Day, and lands on the last day of tabernacles, also the last day of harvest in the Hebrew or biblical calendar. And it it really is a tremendous proof that the Bible is giving that that will complete the harvest, that will complete the judgment upon Babylon. Well, as I was saying, it goes on to say, Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, Mr. Camping, when going through the study of Jeremiah 50 and 51, and relating Babylon to the church, he he did make reference to these verses, and he said, well, you see, Babylon, um, it cannot be the world, it must be the church, is what Mr. Camping was saying, because it's become a habitation of devils and hold of every foul spirit. And we know that the world's been in that kind of condition. But what that's failing to really take into account is what God says about the church early on in Revelation 2 and 3. Were there um, foul spirits? Were there devils in the church? Yes, um, again, within the, the seven earliest churches we read about in the Bible, that God speaks of a synagogue of Satan, and where Satan's seed is in another church. And so Satan had already infiltrated the churches and had sowed tares amongst the wheat while men slept, or throughout the period of the church age. That's nothing new. Many churches had had fallen away, become apostate, and he ruled in those churches and even a whole large denomination. So it's not as if there is a difference when we look at the world, yes, full of devils, full of foul spirits, and so was the church to a good degree throughout the entire church age. So that that argument really doesn't, uh, you can't maintain that. But what does God mean that it's become this habitation of devils and hold of every foul spirit and so forth? Well, let's go back to Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 13, we'll start here. And in Isaiah 13, remember in verse 1, it says, The burden of Babylon. The burden of Babylon. And then God goes on to talk about the day of Jehovah's at hand. In verse 6, he says in verse 9, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. He says the stars of heaven will not give their light, the sun will be dark, in verse 10, and the moon shall not cause their light to shine. Verse 11, I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And this is the burden of Babylon. Well, after giving us all of this very definite language of the judgment of the world, God then brings the conversation of Isaiah 13 back to Babylon. And he says 
In verse 17, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Now, why the Medes? Why, when speaking of the burden of Babylon, and talking about Judgment Day, I will punish the world for their iniquity, why does God then shift gears, to use that expression, automotive expression, why does God shift gears and revert back to speaking of Babylon? And and he will stir up the Medes against them. Because that directs our attention to the end of the 70-year period in 539 B.C. Who was it that conquered Babylon historically? The Medes and the Persians, led by King Darius or Cyrus, who the Bible sets up as a great type of Christ. And he came and took Babylon in a night. Just... It was as though he came as a thief in the night, as the Lord Jesus comes on the world. And, and that's why God is, is going back to describing Babylon being taken by the Medes because it's spiritually the same thing when God says he'll punish the world or when he says he'll stir up the Medes against Babylon. It, it's speaking of the identical judgment. And then it says in verse 19, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there, and the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces, and her time is near to come, and her day shall not be prolonged. And that concludes the chapter. And what God is saying is, when he says that Babylon will never be inhabited, that is what being desolate means. Remember when the Lord said that concerning Judah, that she will be desolate without an inhabitant. And we saw that that language means the Spirit of God has departed. The, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, has abandoned Judah, which in turn points to the Spirit of God abandoning the church during the time of Great Tribulation when judgment was upon it. And God uses the same idea or figure regarding Babylon to represent the world when God shuts the door of heaven and ends his salvation program he withdraws his spirit, leaving the world desolate without an inhabitant. And in a desolate land, you have doleful creatures, owls and, and, and unclean birds and so forth. Let me read this in Jeremiah 6 to, again, define what to be desolate means in verse 8. 
Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. And the only real inhabitant that should be of any concern is the habitation of God. And when God leaves, you can have people, you you can have creatures, but your land is desolate because God is life. God is blessing. God uh, is everything. And when God has abandoned you, you have nothing but a wasteland. And, and that's the point that God is making in Revelation 18 when Babylon falls and has become the habitation of devils or woeful creatures and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird like, like an owl is an unclean bird. Uh, we, we find Similar language in Isaiah chapter 34. In Isaiah 34, it's again a chapter dealing with the judgment of God on the world. As it says in verse 2, For the indignation of Jehovah is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Or look at verse 8. For it is the day of Jehovah's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion and the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch and the dust into brimstone thereof into brimstone and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste None shall pass through it forever and ever. And and then verse 11. Look at this language. And consider our verses in Revelation 18. But the comorant and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. There's our unclean birds. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all her princes shall be nothing, and thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be a habitation of dragons, and a court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow, the screech owl also shall rest there, and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, everyone with her meat. So here we have uh, several birds mentioned. The owl, the raven, the uh, uh, great owl, vultures. And in the context, not of the judgment on the church, but of the judgment on the world. Read very carefully Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 34 and see how it leads into discussion of a desolate wasteland that is only inhabited by these doleful creatures, these unclean birds. And and you can see how God is identifying 
the the situation there that when Babylon or the world is under his wrath, then his spirit departs, and this is basically spiritually what is left. You you have no habitation of God, but rather a habitation of devils. And and that's again what Revelation eighteen is saying that's become uh Babylon has fallen is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and a hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now both the English word hold and the English word cage are a translation of the same Greek word, which um, is Strong's number 5438, and this word means prison. It, it's a word translated as prison several times. It's also translated as watch a few times. But let, let's look, for instance, at Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 and verses 25 and 26. Matthew 5.25, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whiles thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou shalt be cast into prison. And that's the same Greek word, 54.38 in Strong's Concordance, translated as hold and cage. And here, the adversary is God. And God, in his wrath with sinners, delivers eventually to the judge and the judge to the officer. And the penalty is cast to be cast into prison. And then it says in verse 26, Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now, uh, this is language of God's wrath, and and therefore the prison is pointing to the punishment of God, where payment is exacted. It, it, you must pay the debt that you owe, and and if not, then you will not come out until it has been paid completely, is what we can understand by the uttermost farthing. This is uh, also said in Luke chapter 12, and it uses the same word for prison. In Luke 12, 58 and 59, When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him. And, and uh, of course, that related to um, seeking the Lord while he may be found in the day of salvation. That's when you could um, agree with your adversary and, and quickly. That's That was the time to do it. Of course, there is no more agreement with God. There's no more uh, finding him uh, because that day of salvation is ended. But it goes on to say, As thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge delivered thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison, I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence, till thou hast paid the very last might. 
Now, it's said in the other verse, the utmost farthing. Well, another scripture tells us that uh, two mites make a farthing, so there, it, it it's the same thing, just uh, using a different reference to the money. You must pay the debt in full. And it, isn't it interesting that the 1,600 days added to 8,400 days of the judgment time uh, upon the churches and congregations of the world totals 10,000 overall days, which points to completeness. Completeness of whatever is in view. That That's how we understand 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 in the Bible. It points to the completeness of whatever is in view. But when God says he owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, it points to the completeness of his ownership of cattle and all things in this world. And when we discover that October 7th, 2015 is the 10,000th day, overall day of judgment, since judgment began at the house of God. And isn't that something? October 6th would be 9,999. And and October 8th, if we were to reach that date, would be 10,001. But October 7th is unlike any other day before it or any day after it because it is the 10,000th day. and, And that is also the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles the last day of harvest, and it is the 1600th overall day. Or on that day, it is the 40th 40 since May 21, 2011. And the 10,000th overall day, all falling on that particular day. And, and that is the day we have a good expectation that God will complete his judgment. He will complete the pouring out of his wrath. And what does that mean, that he has completed his judgment? It means that he has punished the wicked, or that they have made payment that that God demanded, that the law of God demanded, unto the utmost farthing. They, the payment is completed with the destruction of the unsaved on that day. We we can see how all that could be and could work out very well um, with everything we have learned from the Bible that this would be the finality of the wrath of God and and all things concerning God's wrath towards the sinners of this world would be finished and completed and and paid to the utmost uh, it it all would come to a grand climax on that day and if it did if we're correct it it would fit perfectly with with everything we know and you know let, let's think of it this way for a second why wouldn't that happen is there something still to be done? Uh, is there another period of pouring out of the gospel to come? No. It, does God have to 
judge the churches? No, he's already done that. Uh, Well, what's left to be done? When we look at how God speaks of the time of the end, uh, does the world um, have to be prepared for the judgment? No, they've already been prepared. Does the church have to uh, fall away first? They've already fallen away. What is preventing that day from being the last day? From that day from being the day that does complete all things. Since it falls on the last day of tabernacles, it would spiritually fulfill that third and final feast, and the feast of tabernacles would fully come. And again, that idea of fully coming with completeness. The 10,000th day is a perfect day for God to spiritually fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles and for that feast to fully come, and and so forth. When we look at everything the Bible says, there's nothing outstanding, there's nothing remaining that needs to be done more or further um, that we would say, well, there, there has to be time um, uh, continuing in order for this to happen or that to happen. We can't think of anything. And, and so that, um, really goes to show that this is, um, this coming date. And it's not that far off. This coming date is an outstanding possibility for God to complete his end time judgment program. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.